This is Game Brain, a podcast about board games and our gaming group. I am Trey Alsup, your host. We had a little bit of audio difficulties using Zencaster again here. So I'm re-recording the intro, um, and my audio is going to be a little bit distorted, but I think it's still pretty listenable. This is episode 184. Today we're going to be reviewing Wayfarers of the South Tigris, designed by Sam McDonald and Shem Phillips for Garpeel Games. And our co-host today is the Professor Eric Elder. So we're going to jump in here in progress. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Getting some gaming in on your end. Yes. Yes. Been got a pretty good week of gaming. Not too yeah. bad. Yep. All right. So today we're going to talk about Wayfarers. Yep. And this this is your game. This is my jam, man. This was my right. this my, num- my number one the last year. Okay. So yeah, this is a 20... 20- 2022 how many how many uh times do you think you've played this game um let me see i think i can look it up for you i, I feel like it's been about 30 or 40 times at least somewhere oh, okay there. so nothing truly crazy not a hundred I, I don't have i don't have arc arc nova or glass road numbers yet but you know. right glass road's probably your number one uh, you played the yeah. most of, just most plays it's between that and Arknova. Arknova was really close. I have, I have okay, to check. but it's in that category for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Before we get into why Elder loves this um, this game so much, I wanted to revisit a little blast from the past and talk about some games on the brain. We did get some requests for the music, so that's why we're revisiting it. Okay, so the game's on my brain. It's it's is it's kind of a game. It's a big game, but Disney's Galactic Star Cruiser is closing down. They oh, announced no. that they announced that this week, a uh, couple couple of days ago, and uh, I think when I was talking to you about this, you you said, "Wait, has it even been open a year?" And I th- I think that yeah we're about at one year I think they opened in in March uh, 2022 and they are now announcing that they are no longer taking any new reservations past September and if you like if you have a reservation for post September they're canceling them or finding ways to do something um, with it so for for folks that don't know what Galactic uh, Star Cruiser is so this was essentially it's a LARP. It's like the world's most expensive LARP that was professionally done by Disney, where you book a two-night stay in a hotel in Orlando as part of the Disney, and it's a Star Wars-themed hotel experience. And part of what you're getting with that hotel experience is you are going to be thrust into a narrative with a number of cast members who are playing characters from the Star Wars universe, and you start to pursue a narrative line over your two days, two nights um, within the hotel, where you're choosing to like engage with certain stories. So for a lot of people, this is just kind of like a casual thing to do. For other people, they costumed and kind of created characters and really um, took went down the rabbit hole as far as as stories um and from what you know from people i know who have done it and from the reviews i've seen online this was 
a really good experience that people were very happy with. Um, the negative or the thing that is always at the, the core of every one of the reviews of Galactic Star Cruiser was, was it worth the price? And I think that was that was the the big problem, um, maybe, was the actual price tag involved, which I believe was around fifty five hundred dollars for a two person two night stay. Kind of all inclusive, though. So it's a little bit like going on a two day cruise, all in, all inclusive. And then I think they had a, a figure closer to. 7,000 or between 6,500 and 7,000 for a four person stay. So like a family, you know, two parents, two kids or something for two rooms. That was around 7,000. So it's like 1,400 a person pretty much. Well, yeah, 2,500 if it's just two. And then if you're talking, I don't know. I think, yeah, when you're doing four, like I think it had to, maybe it had to be kids. But anyway, the reaction I've seen from a number of like I obviously have a lot of friends in the, in the LARP world, and um, I actually know the immersive experience director at uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. So this is obviously a really kind of like sad time for them, yeah. um, and also kind of like for the hobby because I think there was a hope that this would take uh, LARPing and interactive immersive experiences to the mainstream. Right. But there's that price tag. And I think the, the note I saw from a lot of people was uh, disappointment because they really wanted to do it, um, but they haven't been able to do it yet, or they feel like they can't afford it. So again, like there's there's that that price tag. Um, I saw a good review of the experience that was saying, you know, yes, this is expensive, but if you actually price out what it takes to kind of have a premium Disney experience, right. That's what I was just thinking. You start to kind of get close to $4,000 for the same 48 hours for two people. Anyway, so I guess it's more expensive than a normal premium Disney experience, but it's not crazy more expensive. It's very very focused, right? Like it's all Star Wars. It's going to be all these specialty foods. You're going to be on one experience versus... Something you'll never forget. Yeah, you know, once in a lifetime experience. Um, now the the thing is, it's like everybody, everyone's trying to figure out exactly why this happened. And uh, I've seen also like some good posts from friends that are kind of saying, um, "Don't be so sure we know why this has happened." Um, like the 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 price tag thing is there is obviously seems like a big issue, but I don't think we even really know how like what their numbers were in terms of how many people had done it. Um, And so we don't really know why it's been shut down. There might be some other things involved, um, especially with all the things going on with Disney and Florida now. And like, I think on the same day they announced that they were shutting down a $1 billion development in Florida. That was, I think office space that they were planning on building in Orlando. So Hard to know if this experience was really kind of like a big failure or what exactly is going on. Um, but again, like all the reviews I saw were really good. So it's a sad, a sad day in Larpland. Cause I'd yeah. like to do it still. Yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I had this, I, I had this idea years ago. Uh, I forget exactly 
when I came up with it, but just looking at where all these things are going, Comic-Con and, you know, wanting to be more immersive in gaming. Like I just had this kind of, kind of dream or vision about a, about a casino that you would go into and like everything would be a game, like not the typical, you know, casino games like craps and stuff, but more like, mm-hmm. immersive, you know, interactive multiplayer games. And, you know, you could, you could have, you know, a concierge where you, you know, basically schedule all your games for the entire, you know, weekend or however long you stay. And, you know, there could be all kinds of like, you know, tournaments and tracking your, your game progress and, you know, kind of games within games, but that type of mm-hmm. experience I felt like was inevitable. And when I saw the announcement a, a few years ago about this, I was like, Oh, well, you know, did it make sense that Disney would do it. Mm-hmm. And this looks really cool. Um, and very close to what I was. Right, It's about. the right brand to do it. Uh, you know, it's the right maker, the right brand. And so like, it's a big deal that it failed. Um, I know, like in the in the LARP design space, in the in the and, and people who are trying to actually do LARP as a business, it can be very frustrating because the cost of putting on what's called a blockbuster LARP, like the majority of the costs are just lodging, like food and lodging, right? And so the like the idea, like you're talking about, of having a hotel that can be at the center of this is like is what a lot of people are thinking about because like that's just so much of the cost is just housing people and having the space and there's not actually a lot of money left over for the actual design of the games um so like it'll be interesting to see if there's any lessons to be uh learned from this like i don't know that i need my hotel room to feel like a star wars space that the immersion is completely like 24 hours um, you know, it, but like what you could get from being in those locations is pretty amazing. And I also would like it easier just in the terms of like organizing events, being able to go to a place that everyone can get to. So you can put on these things or have like installations where you can constantly run immersive games, uh, that is not, you know, cost prohibitive where you are just like getting a hotel room in Vegas or something. I still think there's a pretty good future for that somehow so again don't, don't really know why this is closing exactly i mean there's a lot of speculation obviously that price tag probably has a lot to do with it uh part of me thinks that if, if it really is that the price tag is too high that's too high of a, of a price point for the american consumer i think this is something that disney should have known before they invested all that money um that's <laughs> if this was actually going to be like an unacceptable level it's a little late to be kind of like figuring that out. Cause it's not like the reviews have been poor. I think the reviews have been really good. So the problem isn't um, people's reported experience there. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's the, it's the products. And we would assume that, I mean, if it was financially, like usually the, the reason why things shut down is, is for financial reasons. So we would, the assumption would be that they just didn't get enough enough bookings or as many as they thought they would get to make it worth it. That's right. And I'm not sure that's actually there, right? Like that's not, I'm not sure that that's something that they've actually specifically said that, you know, we're at 40% of capacity or something, but maybe that is the case. It's just right now it's too soon to know. Uh, Anybody who wants to find out more about this, you know, um, there's a number of articles on this, like New York times, that's an article about galactic star cruiser closing. So you can, you can check it out there. 
So speaking of games on the brain, is there anything else uh, you've been trying out uh, yourself, Elder, recently? Um, yeah, we're playing a good deal of Woodcraft um, still, although the game kind of frustrates me a bit. Um, what's okay? So talk about that. What's um, what's what's frustrating you about Woodcraft? I just can't. I just can't figure out how to get consistently good scores. There's like so. Like, you know, one thing I realized about the game is that, you know, there's there's reputation points, right? Like you have to get mm-hmm. um, your reputation. Well, you don't have to, but I think to win, you need to get a significant amount of reputation. So the it's easier to get reputation from contracts in the first phase of the game. Um, but the trade-off is that you don't get as many blueberries. So I think it's it's... <laughs> It's like, you know, and the, the blueberries are, if you you know have played the game, blueberries are the currency or the, the money in the game. That's how you buy, buy right. things. Um, so if you haven't played this, this is a 2022 game from Vladimir Suchi with Ross Arnold, or maybe actually Ross Arnold with Vladimir Suchi. But, I mean, it feels like a Vladimir Suchi game, but it's a little bit hard to describe because you're kind of, like, thematically you're doing woodcrafting. I don't know whether you're, like, elves or something, but the, the, the kind of like the hook of this game is that it's a dice game in which you both can kind of like chop up your dice to make more dice or you can take dice and combine them to kind of get the results that you want. Um, you can add on the dice. Yeah. Yeah. So all, but all, and there's three, three different types of dice, uh, you know, kind of like cheap, medium and like more expensive. And they're represented by these different colors and, um, you know, there's a lot of free actions that you can do. So there's a lot of opportunities for combos. Um, yeah, very hot combo heavy game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you're using these dice in combination uh, to fulfill these, these certain contracts. And, uh, you know, like I was saying, so you're, you're, the, the trade off early on is, okay, you want to get your reputation up because it's easier to do in the first half of the game to get reputation than, than later, which makes sense kind of thematically. But you also need money to, you know, buy the various things that you need to buy to do things. And so it's like really finding that balance and. uh, Mastery has been elusive for you. Yeah. Yeah. The contracts that come out are the contracts that come out. So you've got to, you know, there's timing and, you know, it's tricky. It's a tricky game, but it's a good, I think it's a good little design. And it's still capturing your imagination, even though you're struggling with it yeah that's pretty that's a good sign pretty, pretty fast yeah. game yeah it's fun it's a good game you're telling me you, you played something else um i tried genotype um which i didn't it looks kind of dry um so this uh, is genotype and mendelian genetics game from 2021 right we don't you tell us what what goes on in genotype well, you're experimenting on, I guess, peas, I guess, um, or plants. Yeah, pea plants. Yeah, pea plants. And um, you are, you know, it's a, essentially you're fulfilling contracts. You know, you get these these different contracts and you have to get, you know, the different, um, different pieces of, of each one. I don't know what the genetic terms are, but, 
you know, you're collecting things and then you're, you know, getting actions and upgrading and there's helpers. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually quite similar to Woodcraft, I think, in a lot of respects. The mechanics are different, but kind of what you're doing in the game and the actions seem pretty similar. Um, right. But yeah, I thought it was fun too. At times we've kind of joked about like what makes for an elder game. Um, cause it does seem like you, you gravitate towards certain types of games. And I think before we were kind of, uh, simplifying it to games with tons of different types of resources, but I'm not sure that that's really kind of true anymore or whether it was ever, ever true. Um, but there is kind of like an elder vibe to games that, that appeal to you. Yeah, you, for sure. Yeah, and I don't know. Let's, let's try to articulate that. Like, it, yes, a lot of resources is good, but what do you, what is it that you think that's similar about a lot of the games that that you've that you've played a bunch now? Well, I like I like heavier games. Uh, it, it seems like tableau building is in a lot of the games that I like. Like I'm thinking of Aura and right games like that, which are kind of one of my favorites. Um, uh, that's true. Gosh. Yep. Yeah, I yeah, like you know, uh, interesting okay, decisions. I, I mean, I speaking I of, yeah, I don't, I don't care so much about the the inter- I know that's a big thing for Tom, like mm-hmm. you know, interactive versus you know, heads down play, which is not. Uh, I don't care about that as much. I, I probably actually prefer a little less interactivity, especially if it's conflict. Like I don't, I definitely don't like conflict games, right? Um, so. So there's different levels, like, right, this is kind of like an ongoing conversation that we've had here at Game Brain, and it might help to kind of talk about, like, different types of of conflict, because I think, like, as a rule, even Tom probably doesn't like games in which we have troops on a map, and you're fighting each other, and my, I win, you know, I roll the dice, and my troops destroy your troops. Like, we're not playing Risk. I don't think anybody's advocating for for Risk in some of those older-style games, but a lot of times we... Um, I think the kind of conflict that, that Tom's often talking about is like my actions are going to affect your actions and that's going to happen a lot. And so like I enjoy some of the inherent conflict in say worker placement games where I take an action, you no longer can take that action or at least for this, for this turn. So that's interactive, but I'm not necessarily like attacking you. But even that can be too much interaction for some people because getting blocked doesn't feel great yeah yeah i don't mind that though like i I, i'm fine with that in games i think it it makes for a certain tension that's fun um you know it seems like a lot of the games i'm liking recently in the last couple years are are dice placement games Mm -hmm. you know i think of you know wayfarers which we're going to talk about today and uh right you know doing interesting things with with dice you know giving them certain abilities or powers based on their color or you know woodcraft is with the dice again mm-hmm. um yeah i tend to like that it's a good it's a good distinction we'll get into with with wayfarers in wayfarers you have a dice pool but it's your dice pool and then a lot of these games there will be a shared dice pool that we're kind of working off of in terms of like as we draft the dice and take action with a common pool of dice, you know, that often to me feels really interesting because that's an an example of input randomness. So it's kind of like, here's the situation. Here's all the crazy dice that we rolled. Now you have to make decisions based upon what those are. 
as the game plays out. I tend to like those kind of things too, um, quite a bit at times. Because then there's nothing rote about the game. There's nothing like, oh, you always do this. It's like you you have to adjust based upon what the dice are this time and and the little the quirks of each particular play or each particular round a lot of times. All right, let's get into it. Let's actually talk about let's do our game review of Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Uh, going off of BGG, this is a game for one to four players. Um, it actually BGG has it best at two. It is showing a 60 to 90 minute playing time. It has a weight of 3.75 out of 5, which actually is kind of heavier than I would have thought. Um, The game is designed by S.J. McDonald and Shem Phillips. The artist is Mahalo Dmitrievsky. I apologize for mangling that. And the publisher is Garphill Games. Um, Okay, so it's... I find this game kind of hard to describe. Um, the setting is that you are in the at the height of the Abbasid Caliphate around 1820 AD. And I'll just read the description from BGG. As brave explorers, cartographers, and astronomers, players set off from Baghdad to map the surrounding land, waterways, and heavens above. Players must carefully manage their caravan of workers and equipment while reporting back regularly to journal their findings at the House of Wisdom. Will you succeed in impressing the caliph, or will you lose your way and succumb to the wilderness? Okay, does does that explain the game at all to you? Uh, that, that last part seems a, a little strange. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to lose your way or succumb to the wilderness. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, in your, the journaling map can be a little bit of a maze where you can kind of get stuck in the map, but, uh, okay. So why don't we talk about what this game is really from kind of like a top down thing. Um, you mentioned this is a tableau builder. Um, And I think it's one of the things that's really strong about this game is that you are building a tableau. Uh, I thought of it as kind of like building your own city or building your own kingdom, but you kind of, everybody starts with a very simple central player tableau, and then you acquire cards that kind of branch off from this central position as you explore out and kind of expand your city or expand your land and you kind of can add land cards you can add sea cards and then as you add those cards you can then populate each of those cards with townsfolk that give them powers or abilities that kind of power what you can do in the game so everybody kind of starts with a symmetrical start um Mm -hmm. For the most part, and then the asymmetry, yeah, and then the asymmetry grows as you add different lands that give you different uh, powers and townsfolk that kind of give you different powers. And so you're, it has that thing that I like about games like Agricola and Arc Nova, which is at the end of the game you have this kind of wonderful tableau that tells a story, uh, or at least is representative of of your game. That's that's kind of pretty to to look at yeah yeah it's some nice artwork that kind of like you know as you place cards together if you line them up perfectly they make a very kind of unique landscape depending on which cards and how they're placed and yeah it looks pretty cool so back to that like, description we was talking about will you succeed in impressing the caliph okay so that's just a way of saying like 
hey, the person with the highest score wins. And the theming is the the score is how much you have impressed the Caliph. So the person with yeah. the highest score wins because they've impressed the Caliph the most. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to get points in the game, but the kind of shared part of the board is this journal. You have an action in the game called journaling, which is at the center and is kind of shared, which is a pathway that you have a token that moves through over the course of the game. And you kind of, you get to, as it moves slowly across this thing, there are thresholds that require certain, that you've achieved certain conditions in order for you to progress. And there's multiple paths through this kind of like journalist journaling maze or map. Um, but that's really where a lot of the game is. That's that's a share a shared bit, and if if you don't plan your way through the maze properly, you can very much get stuck. And the maze, the the map ends up being the the end game condition of the game. Is as soon as one player has made their way all the way across the journaling map, that will trigger the end game, and everyone will get a final turn. At the end. And a lot of times that person who gets to the end first, so it is a race across this map. Uh, a lot of times the person who gets to the end first uh, is the winner, but not always like the, the game we played, you know, this, this past week. That's right. Um, Paul was the first one to kind of complete the, the march across the map the fastest. That was enough for him to trigger the end game and to get second place. And you actually had a pretty dominant, win because um you had more you had like 10 more points than than he did at second um but it's a, it's a game that has kind of like a variable ending where you a little bit like arc nova like you can see it coming like you can mm-hmm. see when someone is in range of ending the game but that still doesn't mean you know exactly when they're going to end the game and so like theoretically a player shouldn't be eager to end the game unless they have secured the win but it's also kind of like hard to know exactly where you sit and there's some pretty good rewards for ending the game so you're pretty incentivized to race across this map as fast as you can but that's not but it isn't just a race game that's actually like a good thing is that it's not just first across the map wins there's good rewards for doing so especially because there's intermediate rewards along the way and that's some of the interactivity right is that there's you can pick up these green workers as you go that make that incentivizes your progress you can you're picking up rewards as you move into certain spaces and then there's some ones that are whoever is here first is going to get a reward so you're incentivized to be you know hitting these breakpoints faster than other people and picking up picking up rewards so you know you can't just hang around and not do any of these things i find yeah yeah, if you if you like again, it doesn't doesn't mean victory if you get to the end first. But I also feel like if you're if somebody ends the game and you're only like let's say halfway across the map, you're you're probably you know I don't know how you can win the game. That yeah, way. we haven't see, we haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no there's no significant you know slow slow play strategy in the game that I can think of. All right, let's talk about how you actually play this game on your turn. Um, at the beginning of a round, you roll a number of dice. I think you start off the game with three. By the time the game is finished, you're rolling five. 
Um, and on your turn, there's one of three different things you can do. You can either assign one of these dice to an action. And what you find is, is that based upon the value of the die, you actually have like a little caravan board. Um, and the die you roll will, oftentimes it doesn't really give you anything. It's just kind of like a generic die. But like, for example, if you roll a one, it's going to give you a camel, which gives or which will give you a land explorer. And if you roll a six, it's going to give you a telescope, which will allow you to do kind of a space action maybe. Um, but there's usually like actions you can take on your own tableau or on the cards that you've expanded out on your tableau. So that's kind of like the main thing you do is you're working through your dice. And then once you get, when you, you don't have any dice anymore, or you have only a single die left, you can rest and resting will both allow you to kind of like re-roll, re-roll your die, get a little bit of income. And then there's some cards that you could acquire, which will give you more income when you, when you rest. And also this is the time where everyone gets a journal action. So you move across this journal, journal map too. So you're wanting a lot of times you are needing to hit in order to be able to move forward in your journaling action. You're looking and saying like, Oh, I need to have, you know, two land cards before I can move forward. Something, something like that. So you're always looking at these like intermediate roadblocks that you have to achieve in order to progress on the board before you, before you end your round. The other thing is that you actually have a number of kind of like uh, color-themed workers that give you actions that you can take instead of actually playing a die. And this is maybe one of the harder things to kind of understand conceptually about the game. But for every single space around the game board, I think there's four different types of cards. Um, and... Wherever that card is, there's also a worker action associated with where that card is on the board. And so a lot of times placing a worker can get you some resources or something that you, you need. But by placing this worker, the card the, the worker then goes onto a card on the board and then creates an additional incentive for another player to take that card in the future because they will then, in a sense, capture that worker and it will be a resource or an asset that they have going forward that they can play. Mm -hmm. So the more yeah. that people do certain actions or whatever, you're kind of like creating more incentives for other people to snatch up the card where those workers have have ended up. And so it's entirely possible in this game, for example, to run out of workers. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's four it's four different types of cards that you can do that on, and right. then the the space cards you can't place any meeples on. There's no actions there. Okay, that's a good point. There's five types of cards altogether. But still, when you're looking around the board, you're probably I don't know looking at like 16 different potential action spaces for the workers or something, yep. Yep. something like that. And so when you take one of these actions. Um, it, it does create like this interesting incentive for like a card that was looking, uh, a card looks pretty good before, but then once there's a worker on it, it looks better. And if there's two different workers on it, and by the way, you can't have two workers of the same color on it, but like once there's two workers on there, that card starts to look really good. <laughs> to everyone and that's where a lot of the competition is it's like i wouldn't necessarily have wanted this card but being able to get a green worker and a blue worker that gives me all kinds of flexibility in terms of of what i want to do so i think this kind of falls into that category of mini turns a little bit which is that all you're going to do on your turn is place a worker 
assign a die or rest. You know, you're, you don't have, so like that's as big as it gets, um, which can still be interesting and trigger a bunch of stuff, but um, it's not like something like through the ages where you will take, you know, up to a dozen actions on your turn or anything like that. So you can plan, but things are going to change uh, a lot as it goes. And, and it's not too big of an ask to just say, what do I need to do right now on my turn before, before moving forward? All right. This game, it does have like that 3.75 uh, weight is, I think it's right because there's a lot going on in this in this game uh in addition to kind of like four different types of cards you also have tiles which you can place on your caravan that can both like give you instant rewards but also can allow your dice to have more powers or like all of those numbers like two through five before that didn't really do anything for you it's like now i've placed a i've placed a green tile on my on my caravan. So now when I roll a three, I now get, you know, a camel action or I get a pigeon action or I get a telescope action. So I start to, as I kind of start to populate my caravan, I'm able to kind of trigger more powerful actions. So like these are called assets. I'm just trying to think of like all the different things you need to understand in this game. Like there's assets, which kind of like power your dice and allow your actions, you allow you to do more powerful actions. But then you also have resources like money, provisions, which you need for exploring. You have influence because at the end of the game, you're going to score a bunch of points based upon like your amount of influence with three different guilds, which I guess report to the caliphate or something like that. So I think this is hitting your, hey, there's a lot of resources you know, qualification for elder, but it's also kind of like, there's a lot of just different types of almost like there's a tag system here too. There's almost like an arc Nova tag system where you're rewarded for having a lot of certain tags, or you have a nice mixture of tags. But what do you think this, like this game plays pretty fast. I, I think like, like most games on BGG, I don't know about the 60 to 90 minute playing time, but it does play. It does play pretty fast. But I wouldn't say this is necessarily an easy teach. Mm, no, I mean so? I think a, it, no, it's it's not horrible. It's not like a it's not like a Lacerda teach. No, I, I mean I, I've taught it a lot, so I think I, I've I've figured out a way to teach it pretty well. But it's it's definitely I feel like the first couple of plays. Like I mean mm-hmm. I think most, most medium heavy games are like this. It's like you're you're. I, like I remember, I'm just thinking back to my first experience of playing a game. Like it's it's very overwhelming. There's so much. Although if you play some of these other games, you know the West Kingdom games, and you you might recognize some of the iconography. Uh, but it's a lot of iconography. There, like you said, there's a lot of different things that are going on. It's 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 very kind of multi dimensional play. Although although like there are these micro turns that are actually pretty simple. It's like you play something, you get two coins, you know what I mean? Which I, which I like that. Yeah. Uh, but, and sometimes but, your turn yeah. is just, I need two provisions. So I'm going to do that. Right. Yeah. right. Yep. Which I, you know, uh, pro- provisions are, are really key in a game. Your, your most, probably your most common actions are, and should be getting, getting land and water cards. You, you know, the expiration mm-hmm. aspect talking about right um you know that is where a good good amount of your your score is going to come from at the end of the game 
And so having a provisioned engine is pretty key. I'm always looking for that at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. is how can I get an extra provision here or there without taking, you know, again, there's a very base action that you can place a die on your, on your starting board that everybody has where you can place any dice there. It doesn't have any requirement and you can just get two provisions, but it always feels like a, almost like a punt action. Like that's not, that's not the optimum, right. you know, even, even placing a meeple, which is going to slow you down in terms of getting to your next rest and progressing and journaling. Um, that that often seems better. Like there, I, I can't remember exactly without looking at the board, but it's two provisions plus something. I think it's maybe two provisions. You place a blue meeple, two provisions, and, and get a a blue um, a blue tower influence. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that just seems so much better than placing a die and getting the two provisions. So, but if you're just getting them, and you, and you already always have provisions, that's just something that you don't have to worry about. You know, if you're generating them some other way. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess that's one thing that makes this fairly new player friendly is that you really can kind of do anything you want. It's just a matter of time. You know, you need more money, you can get the money. It's just you're going to take it's going to take you actions to do it, you know. And meanwhile, everyone else is racing and maybe they're comboing their way uh, through things in a way that's going to be a lot more efficient. But that's, you know, that's reflective of kind of like skill and understanding uh, of the game. Um, but, but that's not going to save you. There are times, and this is one of the things that's both kind of, um, interesting and, and, and distinct about it is, you know, we do have this kind of, um, tableau of cards. There's different types of cards, but we're constantly kind of like claiming certain cards and then those cards are being replaced. And so a lot of the interactivity of the game is, you know, a card flips. And, and and given the nature that like we're playing asymmetrical games where we want different things a lot of times, sometimes what's good for me is not good for you. But then there's other times certain cards flip and it's like this card is good for everyone or everyone should generally everyone is interested in this in this card. And so you're there can be a certain amount of, uh, oh, I need to act now because I know that card's not going to last. Mm hmm. Which which makes the the influence mechanic, you know, really significant, right? Because you 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 have this. There's all different types of ways that you can place influence on cards, and I think that's that's also a thing that uh, you know, if, uh, multiple plays really rewards is like understanding what all the cards do, mm-hmm. and and kind of knowing which ones are likely more valuable to everyone or valuable to a certain player. Um, so you can place that, that influence appropriately and get, you know, because when you, when you do that and somebody interacts with the card in any way, we, me, meaning that they take it or the place of meeple on it or do anything with it. If you have an influence on it, you get a one provision or one, uh, one coin, which, um, Again, and the way the, the game is 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 relatively tight on provisions and money, or it can be like that. It could, it can make all the difference between you, you know, saving a turn if you get that that one extra. That's right. That's like one of the things that's strong about this game is that if you claim a card that has just appeared, you know, it's it's not like it's at its it's at its most expensive, which is just the standard cost. But like cards that stick around. 
in a sense, get there's more incentives because there's more likely to be a worker on them when you claim them. And then there's this influence system, which is one way you don't exactly get to reserve the card for yourself, but you're saying if someone else takes this, they're going to have to kind of pay me for the for the privilege. So it makes it a lot harder for people to take, or at least if it does get taken away from you, you're going to get some compensation for for doing it. And I think that like I know it's a good sign a lot of times with games where on my turn or right in front of my turn, it's often the case that a player takes the card I want right in front of me. And I'm like, why did that? You took exactly what I wanted. Of course, like that, there does seem to be a lot of that in this game. And that's, that's, but that's, you know, it's frustrating, but that's also like, that's pretty good interactivity, especially as you get to know the game better. And somebody might be taking that card, not just because it's good for them, but because they know it's even better for you. And I felt like Paul did that a few times to me in the game, as he as he should. I think he was a little too concerned in our game about stopping me, and he should have been a little bit more concerned about stopping you, mm. to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, so let me let's talk. Um, let's talk about pros and cons here. Um, tell me some of the things that you you really love about this game. Um. Well, again, I think I think and I, th- I kind of feel like when you when I when we first played the game, I think I don't know, it was probably Matt um, taught it, um, but I think it was the first time you played. Um, it's like this. There's this. I think there's this kind of gambling aspect of it. Again, it's uh-huh. like I know I've played it so many times. I know all of the cards now, right? Like pretty okay. pretty well, right? Um, so what's really fun for me is basically the flop, right? It's like the, the initial cards that all come out and looking at the combination. So looking at, okay, what are the space cards rewarding? Because again, you're, you're, you're not going to see all the space cards in in the game, right? You're only going right. to see a certain so space card. cards for people are, they're actually like the cards are they're like stars, planets, sun, moon, which are very rare, but lots of stars, but these are, Actually, cards you add to your tableau that will tell you this is what you will score points for. And generally, it's a formula that kind of says, you know, like, I think you even start with one that says you're going to get one point for every townsfolk plus tile that you acquire in the game. And then some of it might be like, you're going to get a point for every observatory you have in the game. Or you're going to have a point for every land card that you have in the game. They're they're kind of things like that that, that essentially, like, capture the entire the entirety of the game all the different things you can do there's a card that's going to reward you for going down that path and then we even have some cards that will allow you to like double those bonuses if you fulfilled the contract yeah yeah so you are choosing the way your end game is going to be scored for yourself personally through these space cards which is right really interesting yeah yeah i really like that so there's like you know, again, there's so many, I feel like in, in game design, you know, how you, how you reward the player or how you get to that final score is, a, is an interesting, you know, thing to figure out. Like that's, you know, part of the fun of the game. Like what's, what's my goal? What's my objective here? And so it's a nice balance of, okay, so one portion of your score is going to be these tags, these landscapes, um, which is the same for everybody. But like you said, these space cards, you know, allow you to kind of customize what you want to focus on and get score on for the end of the game. 
There's only going to be, you're only going to see so many of them. There's only so many available at a certain time. Um, and so, you know, like I said, there's like, I feel like that's a fun aspect for me is to look and say, Oh, like this is, it's going to be a comic game. Right. Or, uh-huh. Oh, there's nothing but stars up there. So let's see which one of those are the best. And I think like, I don't think it was like when the game first started, but I know at some point relatively early in the game that we played last, there was two cards that, um, that were, gave you a point for cities. Right. And so those stack. So mm-hmm. if I, that could be a strategy. I could just say like, Oh, there's some nice city cards in the land area. I'm just going to foot. And there's an inspiration card that if you get four cities, you're, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to, Oh, that's some nice synergy. Right, you have a plan for your game once you've gotten those cards, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think you were speaking of gambling in that there's an aspect to this where uh, of the of the space cards, the vast majority of them are star cards. But then there's also planets, sun, moon. And like a gamble I took um, in our last game was I, I had a card that was going to give me points if I could collect three planets. And I took that card but because i had also because i could grab a planet immediately and i was i knew like well i'll be and i'll be able to add another planet i know through a pink tile which i got but then not another planet came out in the entire game so it was i think the thing is like an experienced player will know you're you may never you may not see another planet in the entire game that's a gamble that you're signing up for whenever you take a whenever you take a something that's like that's rewarding planets. And that's what happened to me is like, I gambled and that gamble came off. And so that might've been one of my little bit of frustrations is in that in most of the cards on the, on, in the game, there's ways to kind of like dig through them. Like if you want more lands, you could, there's some resources you can spend to like, look, I don't like the tableau. Well, I can spend a, a, a pigeon and I can, you know, dig three cards off the top of the deck and I'm going to keep one of those. Um, and there's no such mechanism on space. So like you really are signing up for a gamble when you sign up for certain uh, certain types of space cards. And I think experienced players understand the gap, the gamble that they're taking. A new player may not, um, but that's but that it's certainly there. Yeah. And I think there there actually is one observatory card that allows. So again, like I remember you asked me during the game, is there any way to wipe these cards, the townfolk mm-hmm. cards, the space cards? There isn't. But there is one card that um, allows you to to dig, essentially to draw three and keep one of the space cards. But again, you you might not. See, I don't think that card came out in our game, right? So you might not see it. That's yeah. right. And I mean, like, I think there's a number of games that that do this, and um, it's it's just it's part of what makes games interesting is that you have to take certain gambles. There's no guarantee that. It, Certain, certain things are going to come out. Um, for example, if you're playing through the ages and you've got a really high military, that's great and all. But if you don't have wars to, you know, in your hand and military cards to kind of be able to score off that military, then maybe you shouldn't have put so many points in the military. And I think that's kind of a similar thing. It's like you sometimes you have to gamble that I'm going to pull a war in that game in order to score a bunch of points. Or I, you have a couple of wars in your hand, and like now it's safe for me to move forward in building my military. I think that's a similar thing here, where it's like, don't commit yourself to collecting the sun and the moon unless you could see the sun and the moon are there or something like that. You, um, 
you know, things that may not be obvious on first play, but I think are probably pretty rich as you play, play it more and more. Um, I love the personal tableau of this game. I think I spoke to, about this before. I tend to like games that in which I have like my dollhouse at the end, but I am, it, I do get a lot of pleasure of looking down at my tableau at the end of the game. And I think I've played this game four times now. And every single time my tableau has been pretty radically different. And I think like it is, it is the case that, um, I mean, I don't have deep strategic understanding of this game yet, but I have not found that you, like, this is one of those games where you have to really highly specialize and like only do water or only do land. Uh, I think it, it is entirely viable to do a combination of the two and have that work. Um, but, but every game does kind of like play different differently in the way that your your tableau uh develops and a lot of times the townsfolk that came out that can kind of power some of these cards there's a lot of richness in the combinations that that, that come out of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and again that's that's another one of the the tensions of the game too right like again at what one thing i realized in our last play was that in a shorter game going for the sets is definitely you know, more valuable in terms of points. Like I, you know, and I, there was, there was other, oh, so I got, I got the, um, the space card that rewarded for having sets of each type of card. Okay. So, so that definitely steered my game in the direction of having very even, like I, I right. needed to have right. balance was rewarded. Yep. Exactly. And, and for our game, you know, I, I got significantly more uh, points in that category because I got I got two set exactly two sets, mm-hmm. which was you know you get which is hard. That's <laughs> hard to do. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> you get five points for each set, and then you it, then uh, it's a minimum of two to score for each land landscape tag. So I got two of each card, and then on top of that, I got the bonus for for the space card that rewarded for balance. So again, that was like that's that that synergy that I'm like kind of always looking for at the beginning and then seeing if I can kind of execute. And there's, again, there's so many different of those. Like, again, I have, I've, I've yet to do what you did on the last game of this. We played together and you won where you got rewarded for influence and you, you got, you know, you got action cards, you got land and water cards. They gave you a bunch of influence. Like I remember you had like just all this influence in one of the towers um, and then, you know, you scored for that a significant amount of points. That's because I had space cards that rewarded that were actually like the more influence you have, the more points you're going to score. But that's an example of kind of like you create your own scoring system in this game. Um, and, or, you know, it's not like you can just make it out of nothing. It's like, here are the options. And then you, you pursue it. And I, yeah, I had a high influence game and that ended up working really, really well that time um you can't just say hey i'm gonna go into this and play a high influence game like the cards really have to support it so you do need to be like this is one of those games especially the beginning where like all the cards flip where you put your elbows on the table and study things and say and kind of say to yourself okay this looks like a certain kind of game because the journal map is rewarding a certain thing you know certain things there's certain space cards out early I'm seeing some good early combos. If I can get those, you know, um, the, the, you know, essentially like, I guess this isn't what you were calling the flop, but like when you start the game and you flop all the cards, 
there is a lot of like, okay, I need to look at this and try to draw some lessons and then act accordingly. And then those plans are going to go wrong, but that's okay. You know, at least you, you can kind of build on a certain foundation. Mm-hmm. Or, or if they can go right, like if you can, yeah. like again, if, if you can do that scan and you can say, oh, I see this, this, and this together, let me see if I can execute. And then you actually pull it off. Like that feels really satisfying, I think, in the game. Right, right, right. And, and things, the asymmetrical nature of the thing might mean I'm building towards, I need to get these three cards that have been out at the beginning. And sometimes other people might want those cards, but other times they might be seeing three cards that they want to put together too. So it, you know, there's, that's, that's good interactivity. And that's one of the things I really like about this game is I think this game has um, very high level of interaction without it being combat. Um, especially compared to some of the ti- other titles in this series of games. I, I think the series of games from these designers has been criticized a lot of times as being a little bit more heads down, playing your own tableau in some of this. But I think that this this particular one of the games is more interactive. And some of that is the way we're constantly competing for cards. Some of it is that central journal race that's in the, in the center. Um, you know, the way that workers are placed. I know a lot of times in the last game, even though it didn't work out, I was trying to place a worker on a space on a card I was going to claim the next turn so that I could kind of get my own worker back. And I just felt like, oh, that's a, I'm, ta- I'm making a bet. Um, and it's an interesting bet where, like, if I do this, if I sequence this right, I'm, I'm going to, like, be able to pick up my own uh, resources that I've, that I've spent. Um, and any time that you're kind of competing over cards from a tableau, and that's part of the control you have in a game, I tend to, I tend to like that. There's times in the in these games where we've I've gotten frustrated over the cards that are out there. That's pretty standard, it happens in in all games. Um, but it really was only in in the like space cards where I felt like, oh, I wish there was just a little bit more control here. Whereas in like our previous game, I had spent resources to give me a lot more card flexibility where if i didn't like the you know the the land cards that were out in the tableau um i could go and fish essentially and and then that get that gamble worked out um really well yeah i i i i I do kind of uh agree with you that that and, and again i don't like without actually changing it or doing kind of like a, you know, like a house rule of it or something. But I mean, it seemed like it would be very easy to, to have that be a power on a card where you could, uh, you know, wipe the cards or maybe wipe the bottom two. So there's just some movement. Well, I, like, I like how it is on the lands is that you can spend a resource. I think it's the the pigeon resource in order to, to dig three cards off of the deck and then choose between them. I think it's, I've, I actually don't like the mechanisms where you can wipe the tableau because a lot of people are looking at those cards and they're, and they've been working towards like, Oh, there's a planet out there. I want to get that planet, but I'm going to have to take two actions before I can do it because all of the space cards are really expensive and I don't have enough money yet. So I've got to do some things that give me some money before I can take the space card. If there was suddenly suddenly something that just said, wipe all of these cards, like that screws the the other players if the cards they liked, they wanted were actually out there and they liked them. So I I like it that you kind of can't screw with other people's plans 
and can dig into the deck in these other areas. That's uh, that's just a minor minor one of. I think the the way you actually should approach it is like these are the space cards that are there. Live with it. Like there's not actually a lot of turnover on on this on the space cards. So you should regard them as more like this is the situation of the game. Plan accordingly. You know, if you're going to get into the planet game or some of these other combinations, you know, know that you're taking a chance. You're swinging for the fences when you when you do that, and it may or may not uh, work out. Right. And again, like when I when I say gambling, and I and I say the flop, right? It, it's that I guess is that kind of like adrenaline of oh man, like okay, we're starting the game. Here's the initial cards, and you do your scan. And you know, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm playing typically um, not to. I mean, sometimes you're forced to gamble, right? Like if it's mm-hmm. again, if it's comets, or like in your case, it's like you know, three planets. There's one out there. Okay, you know, I know I can get at least one more when I get that that disc. I just need one more. That's a that's a relatively safe bet. You know, mm-hmm. that didn't didn't really pan out, but like it's you know, it's not like it's not like, you know, it's it's impossible for that to happen or it's very unlikely, you know. Um, uh, and then there's situations with the with the townsfolk where, you know, there's been several games where, like, you know, just the draw of the cards, let's say it's all vistas and nobody right. has a vista. So, they, like, nobody can until somebody takes it and there's no vistas out there for the land cards. So, you know, it's just like... But this is a problem of a lot of games, right? It's like you have a deck of cards and sometimes there's going to be clumping. Where There's nothing wrong with Vista cards. It's just that when the five choices out there are all Vistas and nobody wants them, (laughs) that can kind of... uh, You know, that becomes a bottleneck. But the game does have ways uh, around that. In terms of the interactivity also is that this game does have these a lot of like little intermediate rewards. It's like, yes, the game rewards you for racing to the end and ending the game, but there's also these kind of like intermediate stages of like, the, if someone's making certain progress along the journaling track, they're going to pick up extra workers. Um, and I found like that and the worker system all was constantly creating these little incentives that was breaking up like whatever your master plan was of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then suddenly like, but there's all these rewards right here. How do I pass this up? Um, especially cause I know Paul wants that card like that. That's some, that's some richness of, of things that you're um, you're considering. If the series has kind of like a very consistent art style, I did feel like this, this one in particular, the art and the setting, even though it didn't naturally like translate into, oh, here's a description of the setting, and that is completely reflected in, in the mechanisms. I don't think that's the case, but I did feel like, oh, this is this is a fairly pretty game, and what you end up with your tableau, the art and the setting did have a nice cohesive mix here, where like the art was really working for me in in this particular one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this artist. I like his character design style. I like that, you know, that it's it's a very consistent, you know, kind of like cartoony stylized uh, style um, that goes across all the games. But that I, I feel like there's, there's still a, some uniqueness to 
with the with the different characters like it's you know it's definitely in the same style and the same family but you know i feel like it's somewhat somewhat original as well with as many i don't know it must be i don't know like maybe at least a hundred characters now across all the games that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So my final like real positive for this game is um, even though I don't really buy the 60 to 90 minute playing time that BGG lists, I do think this game plays very fast um, for what it is. Um, I don't think it's the easiest teach. That's okay. But like um, you and Paul had all played the game before we didn't do a refresher. It came back to me pretty quick on Friday and like the game really moved. So it does play fast. And I know, I think that's really hard to do. And so I think that's a real positive of how quickly the game plays. And also like we're better at the game now. So Paul is especially good at racing across the journal map. And so like, I think the more skilled people are in the game, the quicker the game will likely play. Uh, because the the journaling maze presents less of an obstacle to an experienced player because they're concentrating on it from the get-go. Um, yeah, I, I typically like to, to give a strategy tip to newer players of, or like if I'm teaching a game, I'll say, yeah, you want to, you know, that there's no requirement for that first, that first journal action or that first space. Um, but after that, you want to be looking at least two, if not three ahead, you know, at least to, to just not, you know, get yourself. Cause that really doesn't feel good when you get stuck and you just can't progress. You know? Right. And that's, that is what happened to me in my first game where like, I'm trying to move forward and then I end up in a space where I'm like, Oh, I'm never getting past this space. <laughs> But again, like the more, you know, once you've got a couple of reps, that's unlikely, unlikely to happen. Um, I think switching now to um, my negatives on, on this game, which are not big negatives. These are all, these are all kind of quibbles. I do find that kind of journaling board. I like the random setup of aspects of it. I do find that journaling map to be a little dry though, compared to the pleasures of the Tableau building. Uh, I think that central journalist journaling map can be a little, a little dull. So I don't love it. Um, another thing I don't love, but again, this is kind of, this is more, you know, just personal taste type of thing is like, I'm almost always frustrated by um, games where the end of the game is controlled by a player in a way that's kind of unpredictable. So like the, the, the worst example of this, for me personally, is like Maracaibo, which a lot of people love, and I think is a really interesting kind of brilliant game. But the way that that both that that game and even like the individual rounds can just be abruptly brought to a halt is always a source of frustration to me. And this is one of those games where the game will end when someone can trigger it and like the best you can do is kind of see that someone's in range and so you can kind of know that the game can end at any time but even knowing that like the last game we played it surprised me at how quickly it ended but it probably shouldn't know just because i was eligible to end the game or uh, you know at that point and so paul was nervous about me ending the game so paul ended the game neither of us had the most points but that can be that can be a frustrating thing. It's especially frustrating for me of like, oh, I thought I was going to have more time. Game's over. You get one final turn. I uh, can't really do anything right here. The end. That sometimes leaves me with like bad feels. Um, 
that's happened a little bit with Arc Nova, but I just still feel like with Arc Nova, you see, like, at least you're achieving this win condition when you, like, for someone to end Arc Nova, they have to have had their scoring markers cross, which means that they've achieved the win condition of the game. So that doesn't bother me as much. Whereas the ending of this one has surprised me a few times in, in, not, in a way that doesn't feel great. But again, that might just be a personal thing. It's also like a danger when someone can speed up a game just to end it and they're not doing so because it's the right thing for their, for their, to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, think, yeah, I, I, mean, I think I'd feel better if Paul, when Paul ended the game, he actually, and that won it for him. Like that, that would actually sit better than, oh, I've now ended it. I didn't actually win, but at least we're done. That, which was not his motivation, but that's how it worked out. You you won by ten points. So like, should he really have raced? Then who knows? You know. Yeah. Well, you know, to to win, you know, not in that in that situation. And you know, sometimes I, I I've I've had games where a player has you know raced ahead and gotten within striking distance, and then you know kind of put the brakes on and said, okay, well, I need to take. I need to take some meeple actions. I need to do a couple of rounds of, you know, basically sandbagging or, or getting more, more points. Um, you know, so I'll be, so I'll be competitive or put myself in, in a win position before I end it. You know, it's like, I can't end it now. I need like, you know, to like, I think, you know, Matt said that, you know, in one of our games might've been that, that first game. Like I can't, I can, like I, I could end it, but I can't because I'm not going to win if I end it. Like he's doing the math, you know? Well, right. Like that's the right, that's the right way to think about it. I think like that should be a player's approach. It's like, I should not be ending this unless this is going to give me a win or maybe like it'll give me second. And that's really like the best I can do because elders so far in, in front, I'm just securing second over third or something like that. But that should be the mental calculation and not just, okay, let's end it so we can play something else, which is the danger of, of, of some of these mechanisms. Um, sometimes but like again that's a that's a minor quibble um you know what i would say like in in conclusion just speaking for me here um i find all of the games from the these designers to be interesting experimental trying new things and worth playing um i and i think so like this is definitely a recommend for me um and but i think all their games are recommends for me of like, I feel like every single time I play one of their games, they're trying new things. Like they're building off stuff they've already done and they're trying new things. And it's, it's always kind of like great to be on that, that journey. And this is no exception. I think this is probably my favorite of the series It's probably tied with like architects um, of, of the series. It's my favorites. Uh, what I would say though is like I'm always eager to kind of play these and try these. There still hasn't been a single game in this series where that I've had the reaction that you've had, where I think, oh, I want to go play this game two dozen more times. Um, I, it hasn't gotten to that level, and and listen, very few games do. Uh, but I always feel like, and maybe this is a difference between me and some of the other people in the group, is I'm looking for a game that's going to want me to play it. 50 times and none of the games in this series have, have made me want to do that yet. And the number of games that I want to play 50 times, like there may be 20 of those. So that's a pretty high, high bar. Um, But you do want to play this lots of times. So why don't you talk about what it is that kind of keeps you coming back on Wayfarers? 
Yeah, for me, I just feel like um, every every game feels a bit different. Like again, I, I the the fun for me really is in that. Um, uh, like I said, that gambling feel or that flop or like what's what's going to be the target or the goal or possible goal in this particular game. Um, I, I enjoy the mechanisms of it. Um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I, f- I feel like it's it's always fresh. Like every game's because of the combination of the cards and there's so many different types of cards. I feel like each game plays a little different. And again, sometimes it's, it, it, I definitely feel like there's, I would I would categorize the game that we played as a and I guess it'd be interesting to kind of like like count number of rounds maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely like a, a fast, medium, and long version of this game. Um and, but I, I think and that was a, we thought that was a fast one that we played on Friday night. Yeah, I would say that was fast. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it felt it felt fast. Yeah. And, and again, you could you can you can kind of judge it by the number of cards in everybody's tableau. You know, mm-hmm. if, if everybody only has like, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be even, right? But like, let's say, you know, what was it? Four. Yeah, four. Like, so eight, 10 cards in their tableau, 10, thir- 10 between 10 and 13 cards or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played games where, you know, it's more like, you know, I've seen a player have seven or eight cards on either side of their board and then right. some cards. So, you know, then you get up to like 20 cards. You know, it's a longer game. Mm-hmm. No, and, and like we're getting into the weeds a little bit here, but like in order to accelerate the game, you do have to have a little bit of an engine that's generating, you know, uh, influence in the black you know, themed guild, the black guild, because that's allowing you to take double journal actions and kind of accelerate the game that way where you're both like meeting your your threshold tests and you have the resources to spend in order to advance your marker quicker and not every game is going to produce those engines and i think in our game both paul and i were flogging that pretty hard it's just the way it worked out yeah yeah i mean if you get cards in your tableau that give you a journal action you know that's that's definitely going to accelerate the game than if nobody has those cards in their in their tableau you know and there's just kind of like a greed like you know, unspoken agreement that like, oh, we're going to be doing more, you know, kind of tableau building in this game as opposed to to racing as much. <laughs> I don't think there's any agreement. I think it's just like it's what it, it's how it plays out. It's how it plays out. And I think if I were more skilled at the game, I'd be able to look at other people's tableaus and kind of like I should be able to look and say, OK, Paul is is capable of going as fast as I can. here. In fact, he's capable of going faster um don't make long-term engine investments you know play play stuff that's gonna pay, you know pay off quick pay off quickly so are there any final thoughts um from you or have you said all you needed to say on wayfarers well I, I guess last thought on on that part is that you know i think um uh in in terms of i think the game intends for you the design of it intends for you to 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 journal and to move as fast as you can and get as many points as you can with that, you know, compressed amount of time versus I don't think, I don't think the game intends for everybody to, to slow journal. To dally. And, right. And yeah, and do these like big tableaus where they have, you know, five or six space cards and, t- you know what I mean? 
That's right. I mean, the um, there's so many like little rewards and things along the route there that the game is heavily incentivizing you to go that like you have the game. That's where the game really is. Your your tablet is in service of <laughs> that that journaling thing, and that's maybe a tough thing for uh, new players to get. Um, but that is where where the game is ultimately decided, or a lot of it. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Elder. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, kill it. Oh, there's more. Go for it. Well, well, I just thought uh, <laughs> before before we wrap it up. Sorry, we just, we just give, give a little give a little preview of the next game in the series, which I've played quite a oh, bit okay. also. Sure, which is Scholars of the South Tigers. Okay, so again, like most of these games, it's the same art style. Um, the influence that you get, the tower influence mechanic, it plays differently in the next game. So is this it's, already out? It's uh, the, it's kickstarted. It's, okay. uh, it's on TTS. You can play it on TTS with the full full rule book, so it is available to play there um, from the publishers. And I think it should be arriving probably around Essen time this year. Um, but the big, you, you said each one of their games does something without getting too deep into it, does something like kind of really unique, um, and different and uh, along with building on top of, uh, you know, the other kind of mechanics that they've done before. And this one does a couple of things, but the main difference, which is something I've never seen is that there's a, a dice, um, uh, kind of color mechanic where you can combine dice like your it's primary and secondary colors so you can you can combine a uh red dice and a it's actually dice. using color theory right as right. opposed to, to woodcraft take- where you're you're just you're combining pips in a sense or here you're actually generating a different color interesting right yeah so you can you know do a red and a blue and make and take a purple action you know and you, and you need you need certain purple actions to do certain things in the game, so it's it's definitely it's much crunchier. Um, I agree with you that Wayfarers I think is my favorite of the series uh, so far. Along you know with I also you know like Architects a lot, um, but I think this this takes it, which I really appreciate from this you know this team um, that they're you know again building on what they've done before. They're being consistent with making really strong designs, and I feel like they're progressing. Like each one is better than the last one. I definitely feel like Scholars is, is, a, is a step up from Wayfarers, and I love Wayfarers. So I really, you know, looking yeah, these to games this. are coming out at a good pace too. I mean, yeah. um, they're, they're making a lot of games, and they're pretty consistently solid yeah. too. Yeah. They're not they're not just getting titles out. Right. Yeah, I don't feel like they're pumping them out, and you know, it's not good quality. Like I, yeah, like I said, I I think they're really getting better, and yeah, it feels good to like you know kickstart something early in the year. I know you're going to have the game by the end of the year pretty reliably. So, it's been a fast turnaround on the kickstarters. Yeah. 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 All right. Can I start the outro now? Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, Ben Mandelker, and me, Trey Alsop. Thanks to Miles Peleg for our art. Check him out at kerberoni.com. Thanks to Dennis for our incredible music. You know them as Alfred. More on Dennis at gamebrainpod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at gamebrainpod.com. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends, or go make some friends with games. <laughs>